Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Thorpe is coming in, gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. in test cricket in England for Shane Moore. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. And welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're joined by a St Kilda icon and one of the Saints' favourite sons. Ross Smith is a St Kilda Premiership player, a member of the club's team of the century, a two-time club champion, a captain and a Brownlow medalist. Ross feared nothing on the field. His fitness was ahead of its time and his unrelenting drive and power of will tied it all together. It's a great pleasure to welcome you, Ross. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. Hey, it's a glorious resume, and I'm sure you've heard it repeated numerous times in your travels, but how do you look back on your playing career that obviously stretched across 234 games, 13 seasons? Well, I was fortunate to play at a time, I went to St Kilda at a time when they were just starting to, I guess, not come out of the doldrums, but we had uh, Alan Jeans as a coach, uh, and he took over, and then for the period of my time, we were mostly successful, and uh, uh, I played in the only premiership that St Kilda has had. So I was very fortunate to be there at that time and to play with some wonderful players. How sharp or, I don't know, otherwise are the memories, Ross? Are there reminders every now and then? Oh, certainly when we get together with a few of our colleagues and uh, only about a few months ago, uh, Jeff Moran, myself, Bob Murray and uh, ring in Paul Callery who had a game of golf. Uh, And it's really great to catch up with those guys and uh, enjoy their company as we did when we were playing. And are you like all of us, Ross? The stories just get bigger and better as the years go on? Well, we kick further and we jump higher. Yes, of course, yes. <laughs> How did you find your way to St Kilda, Ross? And where was home for you as a kid? I grew up in um, in Melbourne, in Hampton, although we did have a time when we went to Warrigal for a couple of years when my father had to retire as a teacher. He was unwell and then he died, unfortunately, when I was about four in Warrigal. But we came back to uh, to Hampton uh, and that's where I grew up. I went to school at Hampton State School, Hampton High, and had a good sporting environment at Hampton High, great culture of sport there. Uh, and then at the end of my year 12, I was invited to go to Sandringham by Neil Bencraft, who was in coaching uh, the Sandringham Zebras. And then I said to my sports master, Mr. Kevin Carey, what should I do? And he said, look, I'll ring Ian Drake at St Kilda. And he rang Ian Drake and 
So I then got an invitation to go to St Kilda, and that was in 1961. And before all that, though, you played for Hampton Rovers, didn't you? Or Hampton Scouts, as they were, were then known. But you were relatively late to the sport, weren't you, Ross? When was your first introduction to the game? I was about 14 and a half or mid, uh, in 1957 when I was, uh, I guess, in September I turned 15. But uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't joined a football club, but I'd been uh, in that particular year. I was captain of the um, uh, the state school sports uh, or Victorian uh, in a national championship. Uh, and uh, he was invited by my teacher, one of my teachers who was coach of the Hampton Scouts at the time, and he said, oh, look, you know, come along, I'll look after you, I'll play you on a wing. And so at 14 <laughs> years of age here, I was playing against 18, 19-year-olds, <laughs> and uh, I had some really great players who were ahead of me, like people like Larry Rowe, Barry Cameron, Graham Cooper, who played with Hawthorne, and Alan Hayes. Those other three played with Richmond. So I had some great role models, uh, and uh, I played in the VFA for four seasons. I, I was fortunate enough to win their best and fairest on a couple of seasons. So that's what led me to have the invitation to go to Sandringham and then to St Kilda. Yeah, and you, you were with the Scouts group, though, weren't you? So you were spending your weekends, I imagine, camping and hiking and all the rest of it. I was, yes. Well, I was fortunate the first Hampton Scouts was a wonderful scouting organisation at the time, and I joined as a cub and then through the Scouts and then the Senior Scouts. And sort of at weekends would be at uh, camping or hiking or doing things like that. So really, I had well, what I thought at that time. I look back and say there was a pretty balanced life. Yeah. But I had some terrific leaders at the scout group, which involved us and uh, kept us engaged. Uh, and it was a good time. So the, uh, you know, my it was interesting that I then went to uh, the Hampton Scouts and the Hampton Rovers, which had been established by the chap who was in charge, Norm James, who was the chap in charge of the first Hampton Scouts. Was so it was a ba- good connection. Yeah, yeah. But was it balanced though, Ross? Because adding football on top of all that, were, were the folks happy with the time maybe taken away from the schoolwork? Oh, yes. Mum was a bit concerned at times, <laughs> but um, uh, she, she was very happy for me to be engaged. It was a, I, I thought it was a pretty balanced approach and it was only when I became, what, uh, 15, 16, 17, that I started to spend more time with football, I guess. But I was playing... Uh, uh, cricket uh, over the summer. I had it was in a church team. That was good fun. Uh, swimming was very important. So you know, I, I got involved in all the sports at uh, school. Yeah. Because the culture of sport at the school was very strong. You know, we went. We had uh, sporting days. We we only Hampton High School played against uh, Dandenong High School, Frankston High School, and Morley Alec. And so we we would take the full day to go and play whatever it was, football or cricket, against them. So with all this competition for your time, I guess, as well as school, Ross, with footy coming to it in your early teens, relatively, was it love at first sight with the game? Did you fall in love with it instantly or was it a slow burn? Oh, no, I think I, I like any teenager at that, that stage, I just enjoy participating. We mm. were with friends uh, and we're with friends at uh, during school days and then school at the weekends, the same friends. So that was part and parcel of what we did in those times. We didn't, well, see... Um, TV only came in in sort of in uh, in the mid 50s, and so we didn't have uh, much attraction to that, and so there were many there weren't many distractions. So you're playing running up and down the wing as a 14 year old in the under 19s, I think it was at the Ludston Street yeah. Oval there. Now, if I got this correct. right, Ross, there wasn't a lot of grass on it back in your day, was there? No, we had a we also had a cricket square which was very muddy, uh, and I look at, I look at the oval today and I think gee how small it was, but. Uh, <laughs> In those days, uh, you know, the, we used to train just outside the the clubhouse, and they used to have one light. And in that area, there was there was no uh, there was no grass on the oval. There was no grass in the centre of the ground. Uh, so it, it didn't have much grass. I think you're right. 
Yeah, it, it, it's funny, isn't it, growing up playing junior footy like that? You could always tell where the team's trained of a Tuesday and Thursday night because it would be the only patch on the ground where it was no grass would be growing. That's right. And we had footballs that uh, they used to paint them with white paint and so they were always hard, And but they are very, uh, almost like a big rugby ball. They just got bigger and bigger because they couldn't afford to have new footballs too often. Yeah. So the white paint to see them at, see them at night, that was the yes. reasoning behind yes. that. I hadn't heard that one. Yes, of course, yes. Yeah. So after the 1960 season, you're actually eligible for another season of under-19s. And I think you've still got to finish your schooling at this point. But as you say, Sandringham in the VFA came calling, didn't they? Did it come as a surprise at the time? Oh, no. I guess for a couple of years I'd won there. Um, mm. Well, they gave a trophy for Hampton High School, uh, best footballer or something like that. So I'd got that. And so I was under the, uh, I guess, the eyes of the recruiting people. And really, we were just down the road from Sandringham. I used to go and watch the games and... I remember watching people like Dennis Oakley, you know, who now is the, the Reverend Dennis Oakley was mm. was not a was not the Reverend on the football field. He was quite the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and with Sandringham Ross, if you don't mind me asking, what what was the offer back in the day? What was the incentive to join? Well, fifty pound it was. Fifty pound, okay. Yes. And how difficult was the decision? Obviously, you mentioned St Kilda came into play, which we'll get to them in a moment. But how? much did you agonise over the decision? I imagine as a youngster, you were taking a lot of advice as well. Yes, well, I, I was very um, reliant on advice from our, the sportsmaster with him, who was a credible expert in my mind. Uh, <laughs> and when he spoke with Ian Drake at St Kilda and got a similar offer, then I decided, look, I'll go there rather than going to Sandringham. And to put so you on the... Yeah, sorry, Ross. To put you on the spot this morning, for those listening who wouldn't be familiar with what fifty pound might have been worth in you know nineteen sixty, what roughly what could that have got you? Oh, geez, you're testing the memory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of money for a teenager, though. I take. Yes, I suppose it was. Yes, and see, Mum was a widow, and uh, uh, my sister at that stage was she was on a uh, teaching uh, scholarship, and uh, I just uh, I just started a teaching scholarship. And that was the one way in which we as a family could survive, mm. uh, that uh, we were able to then help by paying mum board. Uh, and uh, I, I, to be honest, I don't know how she brought up the three of us. We had a younger brother, an elder sister, and I, I just don't know how my mother did it in those days. And unfortunately, she died just before I won the Brownlow. And I, I've never uh. had a chance really to, to talk to her about those sorts of things. You know, as you become a parent, you think, geez, uh, how did mum do it in those days without a husband and a partner to help her. Yeah, and you think, geez, I should have asked this, I should have asked that. And yeah. it's, a, it, it's a cliche, Ross, but did back in times like this, that sort of situation, did you have to grow up quickly, you and your siblings? Uh, well, yes and no. See, I guess by having by being involved in the Scouts, I had terrific uh, uh, leaders in the Scouts. You know, Norm James was the, uh, with Boss James was called, but we also went away on, on camps and like we canoed down the, the Murray, for example. And so you have leaders and so you see these male leaders. And, mm. and also we had in the FEMA, we had Cubs, <coughs> excuse me, we had um, uh, leaders in the, in the Cubs who were female. And so throughout my sort of growing up period, I had good leaders uh, who, who uh, guided me. And then when I went to St Kilda, I had an Alan Jeans, who was uh, in many ways was a father figure to many of us. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Well, as we've just discussed, Ross Smith didn't end up joining Sandringham. He went to the Saints, and that's next. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're with St Kilda great Ross Smith. So, Ross, you didn't end up joining Sandringham. You went around the corner to the St Kilda Football Club. Was it a head spinner early, walking in the door of a professional sporting organisation uh, at the tender age of 18? Well, it certainly was. And uh, I guess, you know, the practice matches were certainly an introduction. This was the first time that I'd played against, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, full adult people. And they were just strong-bodied people. And uh, it was a bit intimidating. Uh, I'd, met, I'd met Alan Jeans and... Uh, encouraged me to participate in, in the practice matches, which I did. Uh, I didn't play in the first. I played two games in the in the reserves and then got a chance uh, in the, the third game of the season and I played as a, as a rover, a second rover. And ironically enough, I, in my youth, I was a Essendon supporter because I had an auntie and uncle who lived out in Essendon. We used to go out, my brother and sister and I used to go out to the Essendon games. Uh, and lo and behold, my first game was at Essen yeah. and it would be healed. I know, I know. We'll get to and that then, in a moment. Well, hang on, Ross. We'll get to that in a moment. Just just your early life at Moorabbin there. I mean, can we just drill into this? How daunting was it? Because as you say, you're playing against men for the first time. But what, do you remember roughly what you would have tipped the scales at when you got there? Oh, I was probably, uh, what, about 70 kilograms, I suppose. So about 11 stone. Jeez, what? About that. So talk about school of hard knocks and... And those early practice matches, you you must have come in for some pretty uh, eyebrow-raising uh, contact. And who were the big personalities? I know Alan Jeans has just arrived as the coach, but who were the big personalities at the club in the locker room, I guess, when you arrived? Well, as you see, there was Neil Roberts who was the coach, and he was terrific. Uh, he he was very supportive of all the, the younger players. Uh, we had Billy Young as a full forward. He was there. Uh, Alan Morrow was there as a, as a ruckman, and he was a terrific uh, support for me. Uh, I, I'm a non-drinker and a non-smoker and so so was Alan and I thought uh, uh, that uh, if anyone wanted to have a, have a crack at me about uh, drinking or not drinking etc that Alan, Alan would be by my side. Well Ross, non-drinker, non-smoker, hugely admirable, especially at a time like that. You would have been few and far between your, your kind, wouldn't you? Yes, I think I was. It was one of, the, one of the few. But look, I just felt that I needed every assistance that I, I could get to to be successful, and they were they were two things that I didn't feel as though that would actually contribute to my uh, uh, to my uh, ability to play the game. So, as you mentioned, you grew up supporting Essendon, and it was round two, 1961, at 18 years of age, that you make your debut against them at Windy Hill, as you mentioned, and I imagine against a couple of your heroes too. It certainly was, and uh, they, they gave me uh, some difficulty. Jack Burt and John Clark. Uh, Jack Clark and John Burt, uh, they, they were terrific players. And Essendon was a very good team at, at that stage. So your fitness and strength, it was evident even in those early days. I mean, was that a, a natural gift to some degree, Ross, or something that you worked hard on and, and even enjoyed working hard on? I enjoyed it. I, I used to love going to training. It was a uh, it was something I uh, wanted to do. I, I, I started in 1961, I started a diploma of physical education at Melbourne University and ultimately became a teacher of physical education in schools. And so that was a, a, an alignment to my professional uh, interest. Uh, and, I, and I was keen to uh, to be as fit as I could so that I could row for as long as it was possible. And did you have your doubters too, though, Ross? I mean, but particularly around, a, I guess, a perceived lack of pace? Yes, and um, in those early years, I went to... Um, 
uh, Sam Nichols in uh, Frank Sedgman's gym in the city to increase my agility. I went to uh, Tom Scanlon, who was our running coach, and to try to increase pace. Uh, and I think I, I enhanced my ability. I took every opportunity to, to be the best that I could be. How would you describe, especially in these early years when you knew on the scene, Ross, your relationship with, with Alan Jeans? How did you get on with him? Because I think he saw your qualities physically as a run-with player early, didn't he? And um, you played on some of the superstars, I imagine, of, of, of the game early in your career. Well, I did. I played against some of the, really, the champions of the game. And, uh, you know, the, in those early years, it was very difficult uh, for me against players like uh, Bobby Skilton, Alan Aylett, Billy Goggin, you know, they, and Jack, uh, Jack Clark and John Burt. And they, they gave me some difficulties. But Alan gave me the opportunity to, as a run-with player in those early years, uh, particularly in, 19, I think it started more in about 1965, uh, where he said, look, I think we need to give you, uh, give you a role. And he saw that I had a role about, from a fitness point of view, of keeping up with these players and running with them and then using my skills and fitness uh, to win the ball. Uh, and that was a, in that 1965 was the first season that I started that running with the players, and, and that that enabled me to to grow as a player, and that encouraged me to get um, to the ball more often. And it was also I was also given the task of staying on the ball for 70, 80, sometimes 90 percent of the game that I didn't go off the ball. Mm. And we we had a structure in our football team that in I think 66 where. Alan Davis became almost the permanent forward pocket. So I would stay on the ball for the majority of the game. Possibly one of the finest persons that I had the pleasure of coaching. He was a very talented little player. He, uh, he might not have been as polished as some of the great Rovers, but he was a desperate player. He had enormous courage and he was a great leader uh, in the club and uh, his quiet manner. And uh, no, Rossi's possibly the finest person that I had the pleasure of coaching. Yeah. Did you enjoy it, the run with assignment? Oh, I certainly did. Well, they took me to where the ball was going and I mm. learned a lot from them and to how to, what to do in certain circumstances. I also had, I guess, terrific role models in my own team in players like Baldock and, uh, and Stewart. Uh, you know, they they showed me different things. Like uh, Stuart, I've said this a number of occasions. Stuart taught me how to anticipate or to to give me the cues as to anticipating. It was amazing how many times he would appear to uh, intercept the the kick out from defenders. It was though he had sort of pre knowledge of what was going on. It's just that he he had learned to anticipate where to go. And I thought, look, if he can do it, so can I. And so that's what gave me the clues. And I watched Borlog and the way in which he handled the ball on the ground. And it was amazing the number of times that players had a go at him, but they would miss because he saw them at the last minute. So, uh, you know, they gave me some terrific um, examples of what to do. And I'm also yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I also had, I guess, ruckmen like people like Minot, Morrow, and Dietrich, who were terrific ruckmen who were trying to give the ball to me uh, at, at every, every occasion. And so, you know, we. We started to develop in those mid-60s. In 65, we, we topped the, the ladder in 65. We played off in the grand final, and that we were beaten by Essendon, who were a better team on the day. Um, so we were developing a, a very strong team, and it was then in 66 we um, had the ultimate prize. Yeah, and I was just wanted to ask you here before we break, that that role that you're given earlier in your career, I imagine is a great uh, way to harness the mental application or the mental side of the game because it would have required enormous concentration as a young player, you know, to stick to the task. 
Yes, I think you've some get. Uh, well, I, I was given the license to when we get there to, to try and win the ball, uh, and I guess it was sort of Alan s- suggesting, well, look, here, here is a, a young player who has got some fitness levels who can uh, utilise those to get around the ground to to run with these other players, uh, and if you look at any of those sort of the, the Skiltons, the Clarks, the Burts, the Goggins are not super fast. Uh, the, the one player I, I did have some difficulty with uh, towards the uh, towards in the 60s was someone like a Bartlett who had more pace, uh, and then even with someone like a Gallagher because he got terrific direction from Nichols as a, as a ruckman. Mm. But uh, I guess Alan, one of the, the things about good coaches is they often find uh, positions for players which capitalise upon their strengths, and I think Alan uh, did that with me, fortunately. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can visit them at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back with Ross Smith after this break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with Saints legend Ross Smith. Ross, the 66 season, you're sixth in the VFL. The Saints win their first and only premiership, and you obviously play a huge part in it. What are your memories of that season, and how does it live on with you today? Well, it lives on in that, that uh, no one can take away that we're the only 20 players who have won a premiership medal uh, for the St Kilda Football Club. He kicks to the flank position on that outer side. They set themselves. Oh, There's a go. Tottenham, a break. Tottenham kicks to centre half forward. They set themselves. And a mark to Bob Murray. A mark to Murray. 28 and a half minutes gone. Hit the boundary line. 28 and a half gone. There's Murray's kick to the wing position on the outer side. We're very, we're very willing to share it with any 20 other players or 22 <laughs> players who now come up uh, with St Kilda, and we hope that it happens sooner rather than later. Uh, look, it was a, it was a great year, and I guess it was built upon uh, the disappointment of '65 that uh, we felt we had a very good team in 1965, uh, but 1966 we had a, a similar but different uh, final series in in '66. Uh, we lost the second semi and had to go through the preliminary final to get to, uh, to back to play Collingwood in the grand final. And I think in the in the 1965, we were a little bit we weren't as experienced as we uh, we needed to be in that uh, final series. So I think that uh, held us in good stead for 1966. We were far more experienced. We knew what to do, uh, and we were able to uh, come back from the preliminary final, which we won, which we beat Essendon and then had another crack at Collingwood. And uh, we we're fortunate to uh, uh, that that particular game to just win by a point. But I think also we've got to recognise some of the changes that were made. That um, uh, John Bingley came into the team in the um, in the second semi. We lost Ross Oakley, unfortunately, as a wingman uh, in that uh, final series. Uh, 
he wasn't able to uh, participate in that. Uh, but we also made a couple of changes. John Binker came in to try to curtail the uh, the work of Des Tudnam, who'd kicked seven goals in the previous um, in the second semi. So, as a team, we I think we were better prepared for it. Uh, we were more resilient, uh, and uh, you know, the, finally uh, we were able to get that win, albeit by one point. Yeah. Uh, so, as you say, you beat Collingwood by a point in the grand final. There's 101,000 people jammed into the MCG, Ross, and obviously the signature moment is Barry Breen's wobbly snap that goes through for a behind. Where were you when that ball trickled through? I was in the in the pack. Uh, the ball had been bounced, I think it was, and then Breen grabbed it, and I, I was behind him. Uh, and the ball just goes through from behind. And uh, that was one of the occasions where I can remember the unbelievable noise uh, coming from the from the crowd. And it was just reverberating around the, uh, the stadium. These players are so This is weird. madness. They're all on the ball. There Spear. they go. Up goes Miner. He gets a tap down. Potter has it. He can't break clear. It's taken by Green. That's a point. That's a point. St Kilner in front. St Kilner in front. They've been playing, Mike. They have been playing. If my hand will stop shaking, I can see the watch. 27 and a half minutes. It is said in the history books, actually, that one of the timekeepers was an avid Saints fan. He blew the siren for 10 seconds, Ross. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Freddie Farrell, I think it was, was the uh, the timekeeper. Yeah. Uh, in those days, they had one of each so that they could be a bipartisan, I suppose, or they'd <laughs> check on the other one. But uh, Fred, Freddie uh, kept on pressing the uh, the siren to make sure that everybody heard it, I think. <laughs> the, the next season, you win the Brownlow medal and you remain one of eight Saints to receive football's highest individual honour. You poll 24 votes. When I think in the six previous seasons, Ross, you'd registered a total of six votes. So how aware were you that you were a legitimate chance on the night or on the day? Uh, well, look, I think, um, I guess you think, you look at the papers and I've done well in a couple of the other uh, various awards. Uh, and so that you think, oh, well, is there a correlation between those and the umpires' awards? Uh, and you just then go with that, I suppose. Uh, you know, I knew that I was getting more of the ball and it was building upon, you know, 65, 66. And I guess I was, that was a... Uh, a period where Alan was nurturing me for this particular role, and it was a combination of uh, all that, I guess, uh, uh, that that work that had done, and also the uh, responsibility that was given to me. Yeah, and the Brownlow is the Brownlow, but I mean, did you personally feel that was your best season? Uh, well, up to date, it certainly was. Yes. In um, in the end, ultimately, though, or did you have a better campaign? Did you think at the end of your career? Well, I think the um, uh, well, I've spoken to Alan Jeans. I spoke to Alan Jeans about it, and he thought that in my season in nineteen seventy one, when I won the best and fairest again, was my be- was a better season. Uh, but that that's his that was his words. Mm. Uh, but look, I think I had uh, an equally good season, and uh, uh, it was interesting having the uh, on that particular night, as, as I mentioned before, my mother had died only a, m- a month earlier, and uh, Alan said, "Oh, look, why don't you come over to my place and." Uh, have dinner with Mary and me, and we can listen to it on the radio. It was only on the radio in those days. Yeah, but was it emotional for emotional for all the reasons you, you mentioned? Oh yes, yes it was. Yes, um, and uh, then after after the uh, the count, uh, then we went into uh, into the TV studios. Yeah, and then back to then back to we're having to share it with them. And you mentioned seventy one. I think you were heavy favourite. You might have been the outright favourite for the Brownlow that year as well. Do you recall? 
I think I was one of those. Yes, yeah. because similarly I had uh, polled well in some of the other uh, some of the other wards. So uh, yes, um, I guess in sixty in sixty seven I didn't have anyone internally who was competing with me, albeit that I had Bulldog and Stewart uh, and other you know, similarly uh, high class players. But they they didn't poll as well in that particular day. Uh, in seventy one, John McIntyre and McIntosh and I. Uh, vied for votes, and so I think we probably I stopped him getting some uh, getting the Brownlow medal, and uh, vice versa. The grand final of seventy one, Ross. I suppose if sixty six was a dream, then oh, I guess this is the nightmare. You're twenty points up at three quarter time against Hawthorne. They kick seven three to your three goals to pinch the premiership. Uh, what went wrong in the end? Do you think? Oh uh, well, what went right for Hawthorne? I think that they they moved Bob Keddie up to the forward line. And he just seemed to uh, be able to grab the ball when he wanted to. And I guess as a team, you know, we just had to accept the fact that uh, we didn't perform. We just didn't capitalise on it. And they they grabbed it with uh, both hands, unfortunately. The next year you were made captain. A huge honour, I'd imagine. I think you were appointed captain of Victoria that that year as well. So uh, uh, the level of honour, I suppose, that you felt to to take the leadership uh, role at St Kilda? I was very proud to uh, to be captain. Uh, I'd taken over. There was Baldock, who was captain, uh, what is it, uh, till 1968. Then Ian Stewart was captain in 1969, and he decided to relinquish it at the end of that year. And then I was appointed captain in 1970, uh, and I was captain till 1972. Yeah, look, it's a it's a great honour to be a captain of a uh, of a VFL AFL team, uh, and uh, I, I was very proud uh, to be captain. It didn't quite keep you at the club, though, did it, Ross? Because 72 would be your last game for the Saints for a while. Now, I think you just turned 30 when you left for Subiaco and obviously the Waffle. Why was that? Because it was for reasons beyond football, wasn't it? I certainly was. Uh, I was in a lecturing position at uh, what was then Monash Teachers College or Victoria College, Victoria State College, and I just felt I needed to get a, a higher level of qualification for my from the future in, in lecturing at the tertiary level. And so uh, I was in, I actually got a invited to go to Subiaco Football Club. I was also able to get a postgraduate scholarship at the University of Western Australia to do a master's course. And uh, we went over there for two years. Uh, and I playing, playing as a captain coach uh, of Subiaco was the means to an end because I had to take leave of absence from my lecturing role uh, and that provided us with the uh, the means to be able to, to take the family across there. Yeah, and you killed two birds with one stone because you dipped your toe in the water with the coaching, and as you're saying, you had some success with Subi as well, didn't you? Well, we won uh, the premiership there first for 49 years, so that Subiaco fans were pretty happy, and uh, so was the club. But look, we you know we had some terrific uh, players there, some uh, very experienced people like. Uh, Brian Sirikoski, who I'd played with at St Kilda, he played in the Premiership team. There was uh, Austin Robinson, who'd played at uh, South Melbourne in, I think, 1966. He was a leading goal kicker for many times over in WA, Peter Metropolis. But there's also a couple of youngsters coming up there, a young fellow called Mike Fitzpatrick, uh, yep. Peter Featherby and uh, Dennis Blair. So we had quite a, a good balance. Yeah, yeah, but needs a good coach to tie it all together, Ross, so don't undersell your influence there. But I'm as much interested in this next chapter. So you returned to Victoria a few years later, and in 1975, you'd rejoined the Saints as an assistant. So you'd 
you made your decision. You were going to retire from playing. You were going to be an assistant coach, but you ended up pulling the boots back on, and you did so in round ten. Now, tell me, how did this come about, Ross? Well, I came back as an assistant coach, and the the uh, the agreement was that I would uh, be assistant coach and then take over from Alan when he retired. And so I came back, and then I, I think it was I think it was, I played uh, fifteen games in that year. So I think it must have been a bit earlier than round ten. But Jeansy uh, came up to me one night and he said, I think you're going to have to put the boots on, Ross. Uh, and um, uh, I, I, because we'd had a few injuries uh, and the, uh, the, Rover, the Rovers were, were, were struggling. And so he said, I think you're going to have to put the boots on. So that's what, that's what happened. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was out on the ground for about 15 games. I, uh, ironically enough, the, the students whom I was lecturing to at... Uh, at uni was sort of, they had, they ran a book to see whether I'd get a vote, a Brownlow medal vote that year, and I did. I got one. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it was a, uh, it was quite a, uh, I wasn't physically prepared for it. Uh, well, Alan, you know, I, I involved myself in, in running around on, on the uh, on the ground at training and could do all those sorts of things, but mm. it was match fitness. And, in fact, um, uh, I played one game. I think it was against North Melbourne at Moorabbin, and then during the, tr- during the uh, training that following week, I... I had a, a tear in my calf, and I went to see the, the physio. Who was Adrian Wright? Was a very um, experienced physio. Been around Melbourne football clubs and ours. And he, he said, Ross, he said you've done too much, too soon, and too late. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was out for. I, I missed the game and then came back and played the rest of it. So I think I had about another 15 games of really important games to my tally. Yeah, no, re- no regrets though. I imagine. Did you bet? Oh no. I, the only thing I would have liked to have done uh, was probably have another, like Jim Jim might say, well, look, you've got a couple of weeks to get a bit fitter. <laughs> so that's what I would have liked to have done. But look, uh, I was able to participate. I wasn't able to do what I uh, would have liked to have done, but I, I filled a gap uh, and hopefully I, uh, I contributed to the team. We're talking to Ross Smith on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934, and Saints Brownlow medalist Ross Smith has been our guest today. Subiaco had wet the coaching whistle, so to speak, Ross, and you were appointed coach of your beloved St Kilda in 1977, obviously replacing the man who had guided your playing career in Alan Jeans. It was a difficult season, unfortunately, your season in the hot seat at Moorabbin. Yes, it was, and I guess the the... Uh, introduction was a bit more difficult too because, as I mentioned earlier, the, the agreement with St Kilda was that uh, I would replace Alan. But at the end of 1976, St Kilda wanted to appoint Mike Patterson mm. uh, as their coach, but uh, something fell through, and then they—they—I was a fallback coach. Uh, and so, I guess to be to be retained post 77, we'd have to be successful. But we weren't successful. We had, I think, three wins and a couple of draws. So. Uh, the end of it, that that was it. So, yes, look, we, uh, I think St Kilda was a team in transition uh, at that stage. We had played in finals in 73, I think. Um, 
but we were a number of our players were getting towards the end of their career and, and the the style of game that we we were playing was old and we needed to, to make those changes so they're the sorts of things that were difficult with uh, the, the stalwarts of the of the team but yeah, we struggled um, and we eventually ended up on the bottom of the ladder and uh, they they then went for Mike Patterson whom they had hoped to have the previous year so uh, to only get the one year though Ross was that disappointing to only get the one crack at it the one season well it was but look that's um, there are many variables that uh, come into play when uh, where you're making uh, changes to coaches and things like that I think the the board were very cognizant of the fact that they were coming up for elections uh, and they needed to, to, I guess, show some strength. Uh, they may not have had the faith in me and, and that's their prerogative. You did return as an assistant under Daryl Baldock in the 80s. You even joined the AIS, I think, up in Canberra post-footy, didn't you? So you lectured for a long time too. You started a degree for coaches. So you were certainly busy after the footy journey ended. Well, yes, the... Um, the opportunity came to uh, to join the AIS, and I was director for three years of the AIS in Canberra, and the whole family came uh, up to uh, up to Canberra. Um, so I was there for uh, I went for, I got leave of absence from my lecturing position just to try to see whether or not we would enjoy living in Canberra and I enjoy the job. Well, the job became just so um, engaging, and it was uh, it was a pleasure to go to work and to work in that environment. You know, given my uh, sporting background and professional background, it was a pleasure to work with the with the coaches, uh, the AIS, and then I had another ten years as director of the uh, AIS's sports science, sports medicine, and research program. So uh, it was a it was an involvement uh, for which I guess my career had had worked, uh, and it was an enjoyment to participate in many of the programs that led up to um, Australia's successful. Olympic Games in Sydney 2000. Just coming back to your playing career for a moment, Ross, and I guess your part in St Kilda's history, as we had a bit of a chuckle about earlier, you're one of only 20 players, obviously, to win a premiership at the club since it was made, you know, one of eight foundation teams in the VFL way back in 1897. But honestly, how does it sit with you? I mean, there's been some near misses in the in the many years since then. How does it sit with you that you're one of only 20 with all the years under the club's belt? Well, we're saddened by that fact, and uh, I think the club are, are doing a pretty good job to rectify it. And uh, there, were, I guess, at, at all stages, they've been trying to rectify it and mm. trying to find the uh, the combination of players that are going to to uh, just uh, get that that other premiership. But it's a very difficult job, as you know, and it's uh, you know admire the players who um, today are. I don't like the style of game that's being played, but I admire the players and their their skills and their levels of fitness. Uh, but uh, St Kilda, I think, are probably on the right track at the moment to try and find the combination that will, will get them into finals and then ultimately to win the premiership. I was going to ask you what you made of the modern game and, and whether you're an avid watcher of it these days. I'm an avid watcher, but... Uh, uh, I prefer to watch it on television because you then don't see the, the density of the game and you don't see all the players up one end of the ground. And you know, I, I just think we've lost uh, some unique aspects of our game. Uh, our game was so different to all other games. We're now so similar in, in many aspects of the game. And uh, I guess the uniqueness of players spread across the ground was something that I think that uh, uh, many of the uh, the football 
heads of football operations have tried to do, like Adrian Anderson was the last, I think, to have a significant impact on trying to reduce the density of players around the game. I'm sorry to see that Steve Hocking is leaving uh, because I think he too was one who was uh, looking at trying to reduce that density. As a former star of the competition or the game, do you ever wonder how a player with your qualities would go today? Could you ever imagine how you'd fare? Well, I'd love to be playing today and to be full-time. Like, you go back to the time when I was coaching, I had a full-time job yeah. as well. Uh, as a player, I had a full-time job. So uh, uh, who, who wouldn't want to have this as their opportunity to play their game full-time, uh, to have the, the full week to be able to prepare rather than come down for uh, a couple of hours on uh, three nights a week, and etc., and then play at 2 o'clock on Saturday? Yeah. Um, Mind you, you know, you look at the players today, the, the difficulties under which they're playing at the moment, you've got to admire how their their flexibility and adaptability to all, all the things that are being thrown at them today. They're, they're doing a terrific job and the, the AFL is doing a, a really good job at getting the, the games uh, on the grounds. Who was the best player you played with, Ross? Uh, Baldock was probably the best player, closely followed by Ian Stewart. Mm. And... No, two, one. Two yeah. wonderful players. Yeah, that, those names came to mind pretty quickly, don't they? Oh, they do. Yes, and, and you know, I've been asked it a number of times, and uh, you know that uh, Baldock played at centre half forward, a very difficult position in which to play. And given the fact that the guy was what he's, he'd be a Collingwood five foot ten, I think. Um, so uh, uh, he's very short, short in stature, but very tall and very great in terms of his ability to uh, to. I guess, to control the ball uh, and win it. And what about your toughest opponent? Can I ask you that? Toughest opponent, I guess, well, in different phases of your your career, mm. you know, the toughest opponents uh, will change. Like when I first started, to, to play on Bobby Skilton, it was it was difficult. Uh, you know, here's the guy who kept the ball ahead of him. He kept on burrowing in. Uh, he played against Jack Clark, who had the slight of movement and things like that. As you get older, you get more... Uh, capable of playing against these players. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier about someone like a Bartlett, he he was one who was difficult because of his extra pace. Uh, and uh, you know, when I was playing against Matthews, it was early in his career, so he was not not the the problem that uh, uh, he he presented later in his career. And just mentioning the premiership before '66 and the near misses since, we we I wanted to ask. I assume you were. Were you there in 2010 for the draw against Collingwood? Yes, I was. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, pretty intense afternoons yeah. viewing, wasn't it? It was. Yes, and uh, I was there for the uh, the follow up game. The uh, the, the Collingwood. Um, uh, we had a uh, players who Collingwood uh, Collingwood players and Secure players had a motorcade around the ground, and uh, oh yeah, uh, okay. it was terrific to to meet them. And I, I just have to to say that they were so gracious that day, in terms of you know reflecting back upon '66. And I admired the way in which they carry themselves on that particular day. They were great ambassadors for the Collingwood Football Club. Ross Smith, I've got to say, it's been a pleasure to catch up today. Your accolades just speak for themselves. You, you simply did everything. You were an incredible ambassador for the Saints as a courageous, supremely fit rover, and you are central to the most treasured chapter in the Saints' history. Well done on all you achieved. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate your invitation. Thank you.
And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the very next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.